In today's brief, we'll talk about NATO, the counteroffensive, and Russian meltdowns. I'm Yulia, and today is Wednesday, July 12, 2023. You're listening to the Ukraine War Brief Podcast, where we bring you up to speed on the war in Ukraine in about 20 minutes or less. Let's get started with the news in Ukraine, from the front. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, GSAFU, reported that Ukraine liberated 14 square kilometers over the past week, mostly on the southern front. Ukrainian forces have also advanced more than a kilometer towards Russian-occupied Melitopol and Berdyansk in Zaporizhia Oblast. Hanna Maliar, Deputy Minister of Defense of Ukraine, stated on Telegram that the eastern and southern fronts near Bakhmut haven't seen any significant changes in the last few days. But there has been progress on the southern flank. Deputy Minister Maliar also wrote that, quote, In Bakhmut for several days, our defenders have kept under the fire the entrances, exits, and movement of the enemy around the town. This became possible due to the fact that in the process of moving forward, our troops took control of the main dominant heights around Bakhmut, end quote. On the Eastern Front, intense battles continue on all fronts of the Russian offensive near Avdiivka, Marienka, Kupiansk, and Liman without any positional changes. Ramzan Kadyrov, Russian President Putin's fair-weather friend and general of the Chechen TikTok Brigade, sorry, I mean Chechen Ahmad Brigade, allegedly sent Ahmad's special forces fighters to the Bakhmut front to fight in Klishchivka. Ukrainian troops, however, haven't seen any of them. That's suspicious. Moving on to the home front. Four people were killed and 20 injured in Russian attack on just three oblasts on July 9, according to regional authorities, with southern Zaporizhia oblast suffering the most casualties. Orihiv was hit with a guided aerial bomb during the distribution of humanitarian aid. The roof of the Kurahova thermal power plant in Donetsk oblast, which was damaged during Russian attacks on July 8, collapsed, and the bodies of two workers were found beneath the rubble. Russian forces launched 11 mortar attacks on Bilopilya and Saradana Buda in Sumy Oblast on July 9. No casualties or damage to civilian infrastructure were reported. Mokolaev Governor Vitaly Kim reported that Russian forces struck the city of Mokolaev with an S-300 long-range missile on July 10. No deaths or injuries have been reported at the time of recording. A survey conducted by the Kyiv International Institute of Sociology, KIIS, indicates that the majority of Ukrainians support Ukraine joining NATO. Quote, 89% of Ukrainians now want to see Ukraine become a NATO member, and the vast majority in all oblasts support this step, ranging from 79% in the East to 93% in the West. End quote. Yeah, I can confirm my dad really wants Ukraine to join NATO, and he's in the West. Next up, the temporarily occupied territories. According to exiled yet legitimate mayor of occupied Melitopol Ivan Fedorov, Russian forces have begun to mine critical infrastructure in occupied areas of Zaporizhia Oblast, 
noting that the water main that supplies the town with drinking water has been mined as well, as have the electrical grids. Speaking of war crimes, let's talk about the Russian Federation. Dmitry Medvedev, former prime minister, former president, then prime minister again, and now an ambiguous political figure whose title changes every month, so it's the deputy chairman of Russia's Security Council, proved once again that he is incapable of not threatening nuclear Armageddon. Declaring that Russia should attack Ukrainian nuclear power plants and nuclear facilities in Eastern Europe, if the alleged Ukrainian attack on Desnogorsk NPP is confirmed. Where in the world is Yevgeny Prigozhin? According to the French media outlet Liberation, citing Western intelligence sources, private military company PMC, Wagner leader Prigozhin has been in Moscow since at least July 1st reportedly negotiating the fate of Wagner Group with Russian president-slash-dictator Vladimir Putin, and meeting with National Guard head Viktor Zolotov and Foreign Intelligence Service boss Sergei Narushkin. Putin has put himself in a bit of an, um, awkward position by not immediately disposing of PMC Wagner and prosecuting insurgents. Wagner is reportedly still recruiting within Russia, while the Russian Ministry of Defense, the MOD, is frantically trying to get Wagner fighters to sign contracts with the MOD. Wagner Group, previously Russia's most combat-capable force, is now in a sort of um, no-man's land with Putin and other Russian leaders having no apparent clue how to interact with them or Wagner Command. The Russian ultra-nationalist community is less than thrilled about the return of Azovstal defenders to Ukraine. One mail blogger stated that the soldier's release undermines Russia's goal of denazifying Ukraine. Another mail blogger implied that Russia shouldn't have trusted Turkey because Turkey is Russia's, quote, historical enemy, end quote. Would that be because of the mass deportations and massacres of Crimean Tatars that technically have Turkish roots by any chance? No? A Kremlin-affiliated mill blogger argued that all this mess could have been avoided if Russia hadn't organized the initial prisoner of war exchange back in 2022. Russian ultranationalists weren't the only ones having a bad day. Deputy head of the Department for Mobilization Stanislav Rzhitsky was fatally shot in Krasnodar, Russia. According to media reports, Rzhitsky was the commander of a Russian submarine involved in the caliber missile strike on Vinnytsia in July 2022, which left at least 27 civilians dead. Pro-Russian telegram channels reported that Rzhitsky went for a run in the morning and was ambushed near the Olymp sports complex. Maybe it was his public account on run-tracking app Strava? No, really. As of July 11th, according to our friend Sasha Zakin, his posthumously acquired virtual running buddy, his run maps were all still publicly available. According to law enforcement, quote, an unknown person shot a man several times and disappeared, end quote. And they say a little exercise won't kill you, huh? Anyways. If you're enjoying the episode, please rate us and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to reach out to us via email at social at borlingen.media. That's B-O-R-L-I-N-G-O-N 
www.newsworldwide.media. Moving on to News Worldwide. According to the Kyiv Independent, the European Union's inability to ramp up production is behind the acute ammunition shortages in Ukraine. Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitro Kuleba reported that NATO has agreed to cancel the Membership Action Plan, MAP, for Ukraine's future accession to the alliance. While the MAP program has been used by 11 European countries since 1999, last year NATO invited Finland and Sweden to join without the MAP, and Ukraine has also insisted on bypassing the program. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg and Lithuanian President Gitanas Nauseda have preliminarily confirmed Kuleba's statement. Washington and Berlin are reportedly in favor of a final statement that does not contain full support for Ukraine's path to NATO membership, much less an outright invitation to join after the war, which has been demanded by Eastern European countries. President Zelensky remarked that U.S. President Joe Biden could end the war in Ukraine in five minutes if it were a question of surrendering Ukrainian territories, but that Ukraine would not agree to it, saying, quote, The sole desire to bring the war to an end is beautiful, but this desire should be based on some real-life experience. Well, it looks as if Donald Trump had already had these 24 hours once in his time. We were at war, not full-scale war, but we were at war, and as I assume, he had that time at his disposal. But he must have had some other priorities. If we're talking about ending the war at the cost of Ukraine, in other words, to make us give up our territories, well, I think in this way even Biden could have brought it to an end in five minutes. End quote. Ukraine's ambassador to Turkey, Vasil Bodnar, reported that Turkey had not set any conditions for the return of the commanders who defended Mariupol. Quote, in fact, no conditions have been put forward that I'm aware of for the return of our military. On the contrary, this is precisely the peculiar nature of this position of the Turkish side as a mediator, which provides so-called good services to keep the process going. Its role, of course, is also important in this process, as its rating rises. End quote. Reportedly, Erdogan himself commented on the situation today, saying that, well, he had to keep the commanders till the end of the war. He met with Zelensky, who said Ukraine already won the war, and if he wanted to check it out himself, he could go to Odessa, to the beach, and see how people are living. So naturally, Erdogan joked that he sent his envoy to Odessa after all, they checked it out, and in fact, the war is over, so the commanders are free to go. I genuinely never thought I would laugh at something Erdogan said, but here we are. Macky Sall, the president of Senegal, said in an interview with the Financial Times, quote, Ahead of Russia-Africa summit, Putin must take some action to demonstrate his willingness to move forward, towards peace, at least in humanitarian terms, end quote, indicating that the exchange of prisoners and the return of children to Ukraine, quote, could be an excellent signal, end quote. Quick sidebar, returning kidnapped children to their families is literally the bare minimum, Mr. President. The Russian-African summit is set to take place on July 27th-28th in St. Petersburg. According to German publication Bild, an internal document of the German government states that the Scholz government, quote, will not agree to any wording that would create the impression of a fast track to Ukraine's accession, end quote. 
adding that for the German government, quote, revision of the Bucharest decision of 2008 is out of question, end quote, and Germany will not accept any mention of an invitation to the alliance in the final document of the Vilnius summit. NATO allies reached an agreement on July 11th on defense plans detailing how the alliance would respond to a Russian attack. Apparently, NATO had seen no need for large-scale defense plans for the last few decades, as it fought smaller wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and felt certain that the post-Soviet Russia no longer posed an existential threat. It seems that it took Europe's bloodiest war since 1945, raging just beyond its borders in Ukraine, to realize that a gram of prevention is worth a metric ton of cure. Secretary General Stoltenberg announced on July 10th that Turkish President Recep Erdogan will finally forward Sweden's NATO bid to the Turkish parliament and, quote, ensure ratification, end quote. Putin is probably crushing a pint of Ben and & Jerry's and texting his St. Petersburg buddies about how the breakup was totally mutual and he's so much better off without Erdogan anyway. Probably. Finally, let's talk military tech. Turkish company Baikar, the manufacturer of Bayraktar drones, has started construction on a factory in Ukraine, according to Minister of Strategic Industries Alexander Kamushin. German defense company Rheinmetall will open a manufacturing plant for armored vehicles in Ukraine in the next few months, according to CEO Armin Pepeke. Reportedly, the plant will build and repair tanks and train Ukrainian specialists to maintain armored vehicles. That's the brief for today. Remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And please, consider supporting our work on Patreon. You'll find the links in the description. We'll be back tomorrow with more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. Pobachimus!